Pod. Pod. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the 22 Gram Pod podcast. In this episode, we're talking to none other than Alan McGee. During his 30 years in the music industry, Alan has been a musician, a record label owner, and a band manager, and has worked with some of the biggest names in guitar music. Alan was able to join Tom and I in lockdown from his home in London, where he'd been making the most of his daily exercise. How are you doing, Alan? It's Tom. I'm good, good. Good to hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Whereabouts are you, anyway? Uh, I'm in London. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm in the I'm in Tower Bridge, and I, you uh, know, yeah, I where, just, I just, where I saw you last time, yeah, around there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still here, and it's like I've been here seven weeks. But I, 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 I kind of go for a walk, Tom, uh, up and down, you know, the river. Really, I, I mean, I was about for about ten mile walk the day, you know. Did you? Good. Well, you got to do it, aren't you? There's nothing else to do. Uh, there's nothing. <laughs> well, this Apart could from... go on. This could go on for a real long time, though. Do you know what I mean? I know it's fucked, isn't it? It's a bit weird. But yeah, no, mm. I know people that have had it. You know, um, the, the guitar player in the case nearly died. He's only twenty-five. Really? Uh, he got really, really. Yeah, he really fucking ill, man. And uh, um, you know, I, he was in hospital. Guy. I think what the problem is, if you do think you've got it, you've ju- and and that's what I'd done when I didn't. I didn't really know about it in December. I, you know, I had no idea. You know, um, but I had, I, but I did basically stay in for a couple of weeks, and I got on top of it. But uh, the kid, the kid in the keys, because he's twenty five, was starting to get better. Went out and then ended up in hospital, and it was touch and go. He's really shaken up with that. If I'm told being yeah, a manager, bit. you know yeah, what I mean. Bad. What are you looking after then? No, I'm, I don't. I don't do. I, I mean, I, I put a single out by them. You know, I'd love to keep working with them, but I think they're going to go off to a major. Um, oh, right, great okay. band. Do you know them, Tom? No, I don't, I don't think I know. Uh, they've got pretty big. It's not unlike the Paddingtons, massive in their home area, the northwest. They, they just. I oh. went up to see them in January, and they sold out the Ritz. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you know they're they're at that that weird place. They're going now. I think they're putting the. Um, I'll have to move the gig in October, but they they put um, the academy in Manchester, which is two thousand seven hundred or two and a half thousand, and they put that on sale, and that's almost went. But but uh, I don't think that. I mean, well, there, there isn't going to be any shows this year, so yeah, well, God knows when they're going to do it. You know what I mean? Were they yeah. on Soccer AM at one point, Alan? Yeah, man, I got them on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought so on that, yeah. I'm good friends, guys, with uh, the people at Soccer AM. So we've had, in the last year, we've had three different bands on Soccer AM. We've had Cave Clockworks and uh, and Illicit's all, all on Soccer AM. So it's been oh, good. Okay. Nice. Yeah, Fenny yeah, seems good. to love that type of band as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good guy, good guy. All right, Alan, um, I guess to kick us off, can you uh, just give, yeah. us a, give us an idea of your involvement with guitar bands during that naughtiest period? I was working with Hives, Libertines. I was, that's what I was managing them. Hives, Libertines, Paddingtons, uh, Special Needs, 
Boxer Rebellion, the others. Um, I can't remember who else was. And then it was working with a more mainstream acts like Charlatans, Mogwai. Um, who else was I managing? I can't remember. That sounded like the indie chart there, didn't it? That was the indie chart, wasn't it? <laughs> I forget that you had hives as well. Um, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. We broke the hives, Cosmic Rough Riders. Uh, I mean, we had tons of these bands, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I saw when you first started Pop Turns after creation, like your idea for it was, for it was there to be like purely internet driven, but you say in your book that was kind of, yeah. you were before yeah. your time and you kind of saw this age yeah. of streaming coming, um, which I found quite interesting. Yeah. It, was too, it was too soon, guys. And also, the two, it was too idealistic by me, really, to be honest. You know, I mean, it was like, it's too, the vision was too pure. I should have really just had a, a cutthroat marketing person and on it, you know what I mean? It, should have, it was really just me and my vision when I really should have just got, because what happened, creation succeeded in the 90s when, I started working with marketing people, do you know what I mean? And that, it was like me with the music and some amazing marketing people. And that's why we sold so many fucking records, apart from we had the Gallicers, do you know what I mean, you know? Yeah. Mm. And how do you, what's your opinion on streaming now? Because I, I was listening to Six Music today and um, yeah. Tom from the band Gomez was basically like heading up this yeah. appeal to like try and get more money for bands through yeah. streaming because he says the model's so poor yeah. for artists now. Which is, is that something you'd agree with? Utterly. I mean, I think Spotify are fucking... <laughs> like, it, 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 as a consumer, I think they're fucking great. I love it, right? You know, as a guy that just puts on and goes, I want to listen to the Sensational Alex Harvey Band or I want to listen to the Illicits or the Paddingtons or whatever else. Or I want to listen to fucking, you know, anything really. They've got everything. On that level, it's a phenomenal service, right? But the way that these streaming services and Spotify pay more than most, they, they just, they, I mean, it's just, it's shocking. The pay, pay through, Tom, is so bad. Uh, it's just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, you're getting paid something like 0.00002 pence. Do you know what I mean? I mean, mm. I mean somebody, said, somebody said that, they got 25,000 streams and they got a fiver. I mean, that's just shocking. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It just, it just means that there's not going to be any, you know, the lack of, uh, the lack. we've talked about the lack of like guitar bands around now and that's that's got to yeah. be one of the, it's got to be one of the, uh, the reasons for it, I think. Like, of course that is. Like, think about when you were with me 15, 14, 16 years ago, something like that, right? Yeah, like, right. Yeah. We we did a deal. We we did a deal with a major. I can't remember what we got. Dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume it was forty, fifty, sixty grand, something like that. It wasn't no, a lot of money, but no, it, it, I think it was, was more. Than, it was more than that for like five albums, wasn't it? All right, right, all right, all right. But but that well, that was the first year advance of of the first album advance. But it was enough to get you off the dole. Yeah, and make yeah, an yeah. album with Owen Morris for for my sins. I put you Owen Morris right, and uh, <laughs> and, 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 and 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 we 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 had a little go. Do you know what I mean? But you know, and and Oasis were signed for fuck all, Tom. I signed Oasis for forty grand. So mm. 
you don't need a lot of money to launch a band if you've got the right fucking bands. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. I mean, it's what Tom from Gomez was saying is like they're trying to get this thing called the user-centric payment system. But to get right, that on yeah. board, you'd need the record labels to give it the time of day. Do you, do you see that happening? Tell me what it is. What I don't know about it. <laughs> what so I think it? I think basically the model at the minute is where the payment system works on people, the overall players. So essentially 70% right, of subscription yeah. fees yeah. are going to the top people and it doesn't really filter down okay. because you're not getting paid per player. So what they're saying is right. a system where you get paid per player. Um, but then he's saying the problem with that is you've got record labels in the way because the major record labels control kind of what's going on. If they don't want to listen to you, it's yeah, game over. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you think the record yeah, labels will listen or not really? The majors, the majors won't change anything. The majors, well, the, the, the majors, uh, do you know what, how, how the, the money happens with Spotify? They, they, basically, the majors use their leverage with Spotify to get shares in Spotify. So when Spotify floated for 40 billion, they all made something like, and I'm not taking the piss, 1.4 billion Sony, 1.4 billion Universal, 1.4 billion, um, what's the other one? Universal Sony, uh, BMG. And uh, that's how they done it. You know, and they, they use their leverage. We can give you, you know, like our acts. You'll have to pay us for our acts, but we want shares in the company. They're complicit. That's that's a, it's a fucking it's a, it's a bent game, and then also what they done, um, which is kind of interesting is they, they 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 said to Spotify, and on your playlist we have to have like eighty percent the three majors of the playlist of our acts. So to make Spotify, you know, the, the playlists that break the bands, you know, you you've, you the, the indies are the the, the artists standing on their own. have only got twenty twenty percent. Uh, the other twenty percent for everybody's in for that twenty percent. The maid, the bands on the majors are getting the getting the getting the, the push or on the eighty percent. They're getting guaranteed. Yeah, and you think that guitar bands will suffer from that now, really? But it's an interesting point. Whoever made that point, you know, you're your pal. But but I think this probably is quite. I mean, because the guitar band is sort of about the, almost the unse- most unsexy thing at the moment in the music business. Oh, a little working class guitar band up north when you can just have like a kind of like a kind of just a you know a, a pop star kind of kid that dresses right and got nothing to say but the record company control them the record company of course are going to they're going to back that because it's zero hassle to them you know yeah yeah okay just going back to that time then alan it'd be remiss if we didn't ask you a uh, few memories of the Paddingtons back in the day and how you first came across them. Um, I mean, it's a good book. Tom, you were the first, right? Peter Doherty used to always rant, rant on to me about the Paddingtons. I didn't know anything about the fucking Paddingtons. And I showed up, and it was, they used to do these Rhythm Factory bills, and there was like yeah, was five, it, yeah. six, seven, eight bands on. And I walked in. And I was drinking around that time. You know, I'd, I'd relapsed and I was drinking for a couple of years, but probably because I was managing the fucking Libertines. And <laughs> I walked in and you, Tom, you reminded me of Johnny Rotten. I've never really told you that. You were hanging over the mic, unshaven. Like, you, 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 you looked as if you weighed five stone, right? <laughs> 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 and, uh, 
and uh, I just thought, I, and, and what was that? What was the first single I put out? It was a brilliant single. What was that called? Again? Twenty Twenty One. Yeah, I loved that, and I thought you played that, and I think I must have asked you for a demo. But I got a demo. I don't know how the demo happened. I must have asked you. I must have been pissed and asked you for it. And I yeah, remember, probably, it's probably why you signed it because you were pissed out your head. <laughs> I was pissed, but I don't. I didn't sign you on the spot though, did I? I think I didn't. No, no. I think I think you kind of um, yeah. You you did. You asked me for a demo, and then you know a few weeks down the line or whatever. You'd listen to the demo enough, and you wanted to release the actual demo, and we ended up recording it. Yeah. it. As a great person, you've been used some fucking stonker songs, um, and that was it. I was probably just taken with the fact that you were you were obviously a kind of real rock and roll kid, and the songs, a couple of the songs I loved. I really loved a couple of songs. That first single was was fucking great, and uh, it just developed for there, really, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was good. And then we went on to... Um, I was going to ask you, because uh, you, you mentioned Owen Morris. A uh, ago. He, uh, he's a genius. I mean I, I, I mean, I laugh and take the piss, but I actually utterly respect him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's, oh, yeah. he's really, really difficult to work with, you know. But I think he's a fucking genius, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course he is, yeah. Um, like, we had um, Kyle from The View... He told a couple of stories about him as well. He was just saying yeah, he, was yeah. com- he was a complete madman, but very good at what, what and he knew, he knew what he wanted. Very good. Have, uh, you, have you got? Have you got? Um, yeah, got- I mean, I mean, there's a million Owen Morris stories, but I'll, t- I'll give you one. It's not really particularly rock and roll, but it shows you how mental he is. Um, he was doing my band, my wife's band, which was called Client. No, it wasn't even called Client. Fuck knows what they were called. It was yeah, yeah, it was. It was they, they were, no, no, it wasn't. They were called Technique. It was before they put out an album on Pop Tones, and then eventually they got to change their name and made records on Mute. Or it's called Client. But the Technique record was produced by Owen Morris, right? And right. I, I, Owen Morris had, I had made well, not me. I facilitated Owen Morris becoming a multi-millionaire by the Oasis thing and making sure he got paid and blah, blah, blah. I had a great deal with us and he got made, made, made millions, right? Basically, right? Anyway, so I thought, like, and he, he, he was great at electronic pop, which my wife's band, Kate's band, was. So I thought, let's get Owen to, to, to do, um, to, let's get Owen to do my wife's band. But he was so mental, he basically banned me from the studio that, you know, and as I was putting the record out, boys, right, on Pop Tones, right, it was my wife, Andy banned me for the studio. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if anybody outside music would understand why that's fucking mental, but the guy that's paying for it is banned. <laughs> the woman that wrote all the songs, husband, is me again. He's banned. And, and we got on. We got fucking on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, probably, that, was, that, probably, was old. that was old. Yeah, uh, you've got over a million stories about him. He's he funny. I probably have. I, I never think about him. I mean, I know a lot of stories I can't tell you. The best person for Owen Morris stories is a uh, Ray Mead, who plays bass for Jerry Cinnamon in Ocean Colour Scene. 
and made a solo record, but he's, he's one of Owen's best mates. And he told me a couple of fucking stories that, I, that Owen would get arrested for, so I can't tell, you know. <laughs> they're fucking so over the top. That it's just like, he's fucking mental. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Good laugh. I knew he was crazy. By the time that you... See, I had done the Oasis thing and, and it was, he was always mental in these scenarios, right? And he got so mental, I think they all just decided to stop working with him. Do you know what I mean? And then, um, and then, he, then I'd had, the, I'd had the, the experience with when he was producing my missus and he banned me for the studio. So I was never going to hire him again. And then you are basically, because your manager managed him, suddenly went... Oh, let's get Owen Morris to produce the pads. And I was yeah. like, I think, do you not remember? I was like, fucking don't do this. And, and he yeah. never gave me up. Who was it that took it? Little Martin. Marvin, he, 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 did he not have a fucking nervous breakdown during that? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Lost yeah. his head for a bit. Uh, yeah, a couple yeah. of us had to escape the studio for, for a week or whatever, or a few days. See, the yeah, thing there was, is, there was, there was I know what he's like, Owen. He would look at her and think, they're just a bunch of fucking weaklings. I'm going to break them. And if I don't break them, I'm going to respect them. That's what he's like. Yeah, and he did. In the end, he was like, yeah, all right. You look all right in the end. But yeah, there, there was a couple of moments where Grant, Grant went home for a few days. Uh, I think Marv smashed a few, few windows, stuff like that. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it was good, it was good, good times though. All good memories for <laughs> me. God, there you go. I, I, I like, he's a fucking maniac, but I, you know, the, the only part is like, you know what? Somebody like Ray, what we and him done a radio show and we were reciting Owen Morris stories. Most of the best ones we couldn't tell, they were all when the records were playing. And he, he was triggering me to go, Oh, I remember he'd done this, I remember he'd done that, you know. And I, and I bet he's got better ones than me. Ray Mead's got, you should get him on your show. I mean, fucking hell, man. He's, that kid's got the stories, you know. So your, your experience in music, Alan, like the naughty scene, like, do you think it was unique in any way compared to any other period for guitar bands? It probably was, guys, but it's, do you know what I mean? I mean, as you got to understand, I came through punk rock. Yeah. To me, there's nothing ever going to be bigger than that for me because. When punk was happening, I was 15 and I went to see The Clash and, and The Buzzcocks and Joy Division and do you know what I mean? All these bands. And so I suppose nothing's ever going to really, you know, be as good as that for me. Um, the naughty thing was the last time that, you know, rock and roll bands were getting dragged through, wasn't it? I mean, now, you know, it's just not, you know, there is a new breed of bands coming through, like Idols and Shame and, uh, you know, um, Fontaine's. But it's just, it's a different kind of thing again. That, that was just brutal rock and roll bands like lot, Libertines, Hives, White Stripes, Strokes. It was a moment really, wasn't it? You know what I mean? That was a good time. When you recite all oh, the bands, Kills, oh, that's, that's another band I managed at the time. But it's like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Kills, they were good, but it's like they were, yeah, they were excellent. I and them. D4, I had them as well. I mean, I was I, 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 at that point, I was I had a lot of bands, didn't I? Do you know what I mean? You touched on it already, but obviously, you were managing the Libertines, and I read everyone kept telling you, telling you that you were the man for the job and that you weren't too <laughs> sure about it. 
Um, do you know what? I don't even know if I ever should have done it, but I sort of did do it, so I suppose I've just got to embrace it. But, you know, even now I'm like, should I have really done that? You know, I mean, I was having quite a nice time up to I met the Libertines. Big <laughs> 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 band, though, but fucking maniacs, you know. Yeah, I mean, the stories about that second album sound mad that you had to hire two bouncers <laughs> to separate them and stuff. Did you meet them? Tom, did you ever meet the two bouncers? The ba- the big dudes for uh, the yeah, Oxford, I did. Yeah, the they, they were brothers. Were the brothers? Yeah. The twins. Were the twins? I'm, I'm mates with them still. These guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, they were. They were proper. They were proper nice guys. Them as well. Oh, they're yeah, good like guys. Them. The punks. Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, they're, as much as like the six foot six, fucking, you know, like beyond hard guys. Do you know what I mean? They're like yeah, fucking yeah. cool, really. But um, but you know, they, 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 they were punk rockers. You know, they were the crass fans. These guys. Yeah, they were good lads. I like them. Big, yeah. big guys as well. Yeah, mad, mad guys. So, so yeah, tell us about that then. So what? How what, did we um, get them? I, I, I didn't really get them. I mean, it was like I get everybody thinks it was me. It was a guy I was partners with, uh, Stephen, that that he knew them. But it was a good call because it was like Libertines were just so fucking mental that you know you did have to have proper security around them. Do you know what I mean? I also saw that you said. Um, one of your only big true regrets was not being able to get the best out of Pete Doherty. Is that something that you still feel? Oh, I mean, that's just me. I mean, I, I mean, I just don't think. I mean, Libertines, early Libertines records are brilliant. You know, boss two records, but you know, I, yeah, I mean, I think he's an amazing talent. You know, I mean, it's just you know, he just sort of didn't really pay attention with the with the partying aspect of it. But I think the guy's immensely talented. You know what I mean? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't actually want to do it. I didn't want to manage them. Um, and as you can tell, I still going. I wonder if I should have done it. But it's like I didn't. Want, I definitely didn't want to in the beginning. And then I heard that what Katie did that song as a demo, and it was a Baby Shambles demo, and that was a song that kind of interested me because initially when he contacted me, it was Peter that initially contacted me and and phoned me up and said, do you want to manage the Baby Shambles? And the Baby Shambles hadn't even played a gig at this point, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, do you know what? I think we I think we got a hell of a lot out of Pete, especially with the uh, Baby Shambles stuff as well, because that, yeah. uh, that, for me was, that for me was as good as Libertines yeah. in a way. Like, um, yeah. Obviously, the first Libertines record was like phenomenal, and it kind of, you know, that, that was like one of my favourite things to... You know, it was one. Of, it was one of the first albums to get me really excited. Apart from "Is This It" yeah. uh, when the Strokes brought that out, but you know, after when the Libertines split or whatever, and they had that the the period where they were separated and Shambles were in, like Shambles were just amazing, just as good. I thought, like a bit yeah. different and like more. You know, it, I mean, it was just obviously it was just Pete, but yeah, I thought I thought like Pete. Pete brought a lot of stuff out, and thought, what else? What else did? What else I did think, you get out of him? What else I more think, did you I want? Think, I think that record, Fuck Forever," is one of the great rock and roll records. It's as good as anything that anybody's done. Do you know what I mean? And that's it's yeah. as good as, as good as when Nirvana were on. When and Nirvana were fucking good, weren't they? It was as good yeah. as a Nirvana song or something like that. That song was incredible. So I, mm. I think I think you're actually right. I think. You know, you know what? He has done a lot of good stuff. I just something in Docket. I just thought that there was a. I thought there was a massive, massive album in him. But I think just the party aspect. Just do you know what I mean? 
I think it probably sent it left at the lights. Do you know what, as well? It's, it might have been one of those things where, you know, maybe people wouldn't have loved him as much as they do. Like, he, he might have not been as much of an icon if he went yeah. mainstream. or Because, you know, if they'd have gone well mainstream, like, yeah. it would have probably... I'd have probably not have liked him as much for some, for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I also read, Alan, that um, like you were the one to give Pete the news of that he was going to go to prison. Like you said, you were the first person to tell him that. Did you feel like a responsibility yeah. to be you know, the honest bloke with him who was going to tell him straight kind of thing? But I had nothing to lose when I told him because I wasn't his manager. And Rough Trade had sent me down to meet him at his sister's place and, uh, in Catford. And he'd missed three meetings with the probation officer. And I've never been to prison, but I know enough to know that if you don't meet the probation officer three times, you're probably going to go down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I said to him, I said, I think you're going to go down, dude. And he went, I don't fucking care. And he obviously didn't, you know, because he went down, you know. And there's obviously that mad story about where you had them over to your house and Carl ended up having a fight with the sink. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was fucking mental. But how, how, I'll tell you how I broke the band. Um, it's a bit of a convoluted story, but I, I didn't actually want to manage them. Went to see the baby shambles. Uh, went to America. Uh, and they were, they'd fallen out because Peter had burgled Carol Peratt's flat. Um, and I, um, I was a, I was in America working with Joaquin Phoenix at the time, uh, who was pretty big, but he wasn't as big as he is now, which is like arguably the biggest actor. But he was big. And uh, he'd done Walk the Line. And uh, I was doing music with him, uh, him and Anthony Langdon. And we were in the studio in New York, and, and I got a call uh, to come back. And uh, uh, Rough Trade wanted me to manage Peter, well, manage Libertines. And I, and I was James Endicott, and I was going, no, no, I don't want to do that. And uh, I ended up coming back. Um, Peter got out, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I got back about a week later, and I went to the, um, I went to, where did I go? I went to the Landmark Hotel, and um, um, and they, they, they were like, um, you know, they, they just charmed me, guys. Do you know I mean, I didn't actually really want to do it. But they, 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 they were so charming that I ended up being the manager. And I went to Wales uh, on the first day I, that I managed them. I took them on down there. And, uh, you know, I was, you know I was like, it was lovely and everything. But they were, they were that kind of pissed off with each other. And it was like, you know, but it was still a nice kind of time. We were getting them together. And then about three nights in, four nights in, uh, I just went to bed. I think it was the Wednesday night, and then I woke up and there was I saw somebody was coming down the stairs at ten in the morning. I was on the, the phone to the, the creation office and the management office, and I, I turned round out a peripheral vision to my right, and Carol Barat. It, it, like, it looked as if he put like a, a red sauce over his head, except his eye was hanging out, you know, and and a on the optical nerve. And I was a bit freaked out. It was fucking twitching. And I went and got a baby wipe and put, they pushed Carol Barat's eye back into his head and held it. <laughs> and I ended up going down to a hospital and then it breaking. And they said, this is too serious. He's going to lose his eye. You've got to go to Hereford Hospital. 
And I went and got trekked all the way over another 30, 40 miles to Hereford Hospital to the eye people. And eventually got got into after about an hour, got in to see the, the surgeon. And then they looked at me and Carol Barat and they said to me, What have you done to your boyfriend? And <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I was like, He's not my boyfriend, I'm his manager. <laughs> Carol luckily went, He is only my manager, we're all right. And, uh, and we, we saved his eye. And then, and this is me managing the band for three days. Um, and then, uh, unbeknownst to me, it didn't take, we didn't find it out for about another 24 hours. They'd sewn the eye in the wrong, the wrong way. Mm. Um, you know, it, it was like, it, was, it wasn't perfectly put back in. So I then had to take him to hospital in London, the Portland Hospital. And it cost me eight grand to get Carol's eye uh, sorted out and put back in properly. And uh, mm. that, was, that was the beginning of me and the Libertines. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when I started managing them, I also put three tiny country clubs on sale because I knew on that libertines.org um, uh, website, there was probably, I thought, five to 10,000 absolute lunatic fans like you, Tom, basically, who would travel to the Tony Country Club and probably buy all three three nights of tickets because this was the most celebrated underground band in Britain. So I'd done mm. that and we sold 6,000 tickets. And we, that was three sold out Tony Countries, which was fucking great, you know, because yeah, they'd never played anywhere at that point bigger than, I'm told, the ICA. Do you know what I mean? So uh, yeah. we'd done the three shows. We'd not put any music out. And I immediately put, and, and, you know, from the beginning of April, this was in December, and I just sold three Libertines in town. I put three Brixton Academies on sale. And at that point, Rough Trade were just going, you're a fucking maniac, right? You're, you're going to fall on your face. On the Friday that the gig started, we, we sold the final ticket for the Sunday night. And we had three sold-out Brixton Academy shows. And then my next move was we took Can't Stand Me Now to radio and we got on the list and that was it. Because basically it was smoking mirrors. I don't think there was more than 15,000 Libertines fans when we sold out the 15,000 tickets. Every fan bought a fucking ticket. And then it looked massive. And then radio went there. And then we sold a million records. You know what I mean? The rest is history. They became big. Thanks for listening to this episode of 22 Grand Pod. If Naughty's guitar music is your thing, then you might enjoy our Patreon page, where for £3 a month you will get access to the following series. The Naughty's Deep Dive, where we go through the likes of the Stalking Pete Doherty documentary in painful detail. My favourite 2000s album, where patrons and other guests come on to talk about their favourite album of the era. Legend or Landfill, in which we go through Enemy's top 10 albums of each year from 2001 and see if we think they are indeed legendary or for the landfill. Unsigned Stories, where we chat to bands that didn't quite make it in terms of signing that elusive record deal. We also have Fan Stories, where I talk to people about their memories and opinions on all things Naughty's Indie. You also get early access to any main podcast episodes and it's also worth checking out the YouTube page where you can see extended video versions of the interviews as well as plenty of other bits of commentary and opinion. All links are in the description. Now back to the pod. I also read, like, when you said you booked those Brixton gigs, that <laughs> you're having trouble trying to convince Pete not to put on any Gorilla gigs and that you put one on the same week, maybe, or something? <laughs> that's, that's true. He, 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 he used to do it for the crack money. He used to do uh, Gorilla gigs. Do you remember, Tom, five, five or 
Turn us on the door. Yeah, turn, we we, we played it a couple of them. Right, right, and turn us, turn us, and the uh, at the photo booth at the station, wherever he fucking lived in Hackney, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, it was, and you know, you know, when I got on the flat, when I took over the band, I got, I knew that he was doing these guerrilla gigs, so I got him literally the smallest flat I could find him. I got him it, and he still put fucking gigs on. <laughs> People climbing through the windows and that. Yeah, window. yeah, yeah. It was fucking insane, you know what I mean? But anyway, they, him and Carol, they were, they were, you know, they'd sold 15,000 tickets. They were quite impressed with themselves, right? And Carol was just going along with it, because I don't think Carol was particularly about the Guerrilla gigs. He just was going along with Peter, right? And they, they, they'd done a Guerrilla gig on the Tuesday before the Friday, right? And Carol came back depressed to me. I went, what's wrong? And he went, we always sold six tickets. <laughs> and like, it, was, it was like a fucking Tuesday. And I said, who showed up? And he went, Japanese tourists. Six Japanese <laughs> tourists showed up to Peter's flat. And they were going to pissed off. They, they, they never got the money for whatever, you know. That is fucking brilliant. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the thing about life, it's, it's always more ridiculous. The truth is always more ridiculous than anything, do you know what I mean? And yeah, especially yeah, yeah, the Libertines. Yeah. I mean, only the Libertines could do a guerrilla gig on a Tuesday lunchtime before the 15,000 tickets of the weekend and get yeah. six people. That's fucking mental. I, I sometimes remember stuff and I'm like, have I just convinced myself? That, like, I, it's, kind of un, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that I've remembered yeah. certain things, do you know what I mean? And, and, yeah, man. And it's like, have I just made that up in my head? But like, I know that I haven't. It's just all like these mad stories yeah. that I just keep, eventually come out. It's like, yeah, weird. I know. I know. Uh, you also said, Alan, that you've had you've gone on to have like a good relationship with Carl, and that you felt like quite a bit of a loyalty to him after the after the Libertines. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, big time. I mean, I, we just got on. We still get on. Do you know what I mean? You know, and uh, he's a good guy. I think, though, to be honest, guys. The fact I'm, I saved his eye, I think me and him are always going to be fucking down with each other. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. uh, it was beyond the call of duty that time. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, I saved the eye. And then when it was wrong, I paid for the fucking eye to go back in the head properly. So I think me and him are always going to be all right with each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you mentioned Joaquin Phoenix, because I was going to bring up that story of when you first met him. Because it was quite funny the way... Him and his oh, mate right. were yeah, playing, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. playing you their album and you like... Yeah, yeah no, no, he... Well, basically, I was like... I was a... I was like... There was a, there was a girl called Nelly Kim who was Kirsten Dunst's uh, makeup artist girl, right? She was gorgeous. And she, she liked me and she went, oh, McGee, like, your last... She, we were hanging out and everything and she went, it's your last day, you know, because I used to be there nearly all the time at this point, right? And uh, she said to me, uh, oh, you know, let's go for food at Toy and Sunset. And I was, which is a Thai restaurant, guys. And I was like, fucking rock and roll. This gorgeous girl wants to take me for fucking food. Of course I'm going to go, right? And uh, we're driving along Sunset. And she goes, Ellen, do you mind if I take you up to meet some of my actor friends? And I was thinking, for fuck's sake. And I was like, no, not at all. And then suddenly, right on up the hill. And uh, the actor friends of like, you know, these, these two guys, you know, like we, we get to this humble house 
and there's a studio set up in the house and these two guys who I don't have a fucking clue who they are, right? And, uh, you know, and this English guy goes, oh, you know, hello, you know, I met you with Oasis and I'm thinking, you never fucking met me, but I'm going to just go along with it, you know, because, oh, yes, I remember you, but I think I don't fucking remember you. And I don't think, I think he was just delusional, you know, and I think he must have met Marcus, their manager. So he never met me. But anyway, and uh, this other guy was, and then I was like, all right, squeaky voice, whatever, right? And, uh, and then because it was in a bad mood that I wasn't with a girl, they played me about 20-odd songs, and I just fucking slaughtered every song. I just said, no, this is what you do with this. That's what you, I just annihilated the songs, boys, right? And, uh, <laughs> and, and they, they were getting into it especially the squeaky voice guy that's doing the fucking mixing desk. And at the end of the night, it goes, I'm Anthony Langdon. Uh, you know, it's, I was in Space Hog and blah, blah, blah. I don't know, whatever, Anthony. Nice guy, actually. Right? And the other guy goes, hey, I'm Joaquin Phoenix. And I was like, Phoenix? Maybe something to do with River Phoenix. So I got back to the, to the uh, never, I'd never cracked on, you know, to her that I didn't have a fucking clue who I'd met. And then I, I got on Google and I put in, River Phoenix, and then I looked, and his sibling was Joaquim, and I went, "Oh, it's River Phoenix's brother." And, it, and then, it, as it transpired, about a week later, uh, Joaquim phoned me up, and he's a Britpop fan, a big Oasis fan, and he went, "I wanted to produce my album," and I went, "I'm not a producer, I'm a manager." And he went, "No, he goes, we know you're a producer, you know, you, you, you know, we know that, you know, you'll get it. We want you to." And I ended up kind of in the studio with him for about six months. It was good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, fuck it. Why not? <laughs> Just look back at the hives, Alan. Like you say, they were yeah. one of the first bands that you signed on, Pop Turns. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that you kind of got hold of them and you saw they had two albums that were already out and you kind of, yeah. you decided to pick the best of those two and well, then I, I push t- that I forward. T- I'll tell you what happened, guys. It was like, I was... I'd started Pop Tones and I was in doing a promo tour of Germany, doing all the fucking TV shows and all that sort of box because it was coming off the back of Oasis. So everybody was like, what's he going to do next? And it was about half one in the morning and I put on Bravo or something like that. And it, was, it wasn't even Bravo 1 where the pop hits, it was Bravo 2. <laughs> what, looking at the fucking snide indie bands, right? And I was just, it was all because there was nothing on the fucking TV, right? And it was like, so I was, it was all these shite indie bands. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Suddenly, Hate to Say I Told You So comes on. The full, complete video. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Eating my fucking chocolates, right? On, <laughs> on, on the bed. And I'm like, fuck. So the next day, I phoned up the office and I went, the hives. And I went, we'll find out. So they phoned up and went, they're on a record company called Burning Heart. Uh, and they're about to get dropped. And I went, really? And they went, they've had two albums out. The second album's come out, and the worldwide sales will check to 600 copies. So they had fucking bombed, right? So I said, okay, approach the record company, license the two albums, give them five grand. I think they actually paid two grand as it goes, right? But offer them five grand, that's the budget. And what I'll do, if you get them, I'll choose the best songs, but we'll make that hate to say I told you so a hit. We bought it for two grand, put it together. There was hate to say I told you so, main offender, do or die, die all right. We had four big hits with it. 
And uh, I've done about 400,000 here and about 1.2 million in America. And they broke. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is, that's crazy, isn't it? I love that. Uh, it wasn't so much that I was good. It was just they were right. And I, all I did was identified you're going to happen if I fucking get this right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he's a hell of a lead singer in that bloke as well. Like, his personality. Oh, he's amazing. I love Pelly. He's fucking amazing. He had, he, I talked to him quite a lot. He had COVID. He, he had all it right. over his head about two or three months ago. All right. And they're, I mean, they're still producing music as well, aren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just a brilliant band. Brilliant. I also noticed a story about where you got the chance to sign The Darkness, which is quite a funny one. Well, I'll tell you what happened. It was like, I, uh, I got, you know, Ian, who worked for Pop Tones, worked for me, right? Uh, he came to me and he went, McGee, I just need you to say yes. <laughs> and I said, what am I saying yes to? And he went, The Darkness. And I went, Okay, who are the darkness? And he went, the last band, I've got 15 pages coming up and dazed and confused. I've got the front page. <laughs> we just, just put it out. I guarantee it's going to sell. And, it, and here's the song that they've got called, what is it, something, something called Love, or whatever, whatever the fucking hit is, right? Yeah. And I went, a little thing called Love, isn't that a song? Is that Queen? Anyway, some, one of these kind of songs. And I put it on, right? And it was for 25 seconds. It was like ACDC. And I thought, this is good, right? This is fucking good. Um, and then suddenly Justin Hawkins comes in and goes, and I was like, I was thinking, Ian's right. It's probably going to sell. But I don't know. I mean, I found the main chain, Oasis. I found all these fucking amazing bands. Can I really do the darkness? It seems a bit of a joke to me. So I phoned Gillespie up and I went, I wanted to play you something. Tell me what you think. So it was like ACDC, so he was quiet. And then when the boys came in, he went, whoa, 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 that. He laughed and I went, fuck that, I can't put it out. So we, never, <laughs> we, never put it, we never put it out. And then it sold four million. And I, do you know what, boys? I should have put it out. That's the truth. I should, I should have just taken the money. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bobby Gillespie just laughing. laughing he was like, he laughed when the guy started singing. And I thought, I can't do it. Because at that point, this is 20 years ago, I mean, I had such, such a run of fucking amazing bands. I hadn't even got to Libertines at that point. And I just thought, I can't fucking spoil the fucking... <laughs> the line of greatness that I'm fucking ploughing at the moment, you know what I mean? You know. <laughs> I guess with that in mind, Alan, was, is there anything you would have done differently about that Marty's period, apart from signing the darkness? <laughs> I wish I'd signed Arctic fucking monkeys. I know. I, I mean, how did I not get the Arctic monkeys? Because I had all the other good bands. How did I end up not getting them? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know how that happened. I don't know. It's like yeah, that, yeah, that, that would have been special. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know how that didn't happen, but it didn't, you know. And then, yeah, I mean, in your book, you say in 2008, you'd had your fill of music, or working in music, sorry. And obviously now you're involved again. Uh, what what yeah, that I mean, change on? I think, I think I wrote the book, and then everybody asked me to become the manager again. <laughs> right. And uh, then, you know what I mean? It was like, and I'd always been mates with Sean, Sean and Bez. They didn't have a manager. You know, or, or they, were, 
they asked me, Mary Chain asked me, uh, Wilco Johnson asked me, Cast asked me. And before I knew it, I, had a, I, was, I was managing a few bands again, you know. I don't manage that many bands now, though. I've got uh, Las Vegas, uh, um, Cast, Happy Mondays, uh, Black Great. So I'm only managing four bands, you know. Yeah. And you, you mentioned you're working with, like, younger bands now. Like, yeah. How does that, how's that differ from the noughties period or any other period with the guitar bands? Like, what are the challenges it's, for them it's now? It's much, much more DIY. I mean, I'm literally one guy running an entire label now, do you know what I mean? Right, So, yeah. And you can do it, do you know what I mean? You can actually do it. Whereas you could never have done that back in the day, could you? Do you know what I mean? But now I manage, not manage, sorry, I've now run Creation 23 and I run it myself and I put the records out and blah, blah, blah. And I have got people that help me with, with the promotion, you know, at radio and press. But essentially it's one guy running a record label. That's yeah, never, yeah. You never do that in the 80s or the 90s. Not, not, do you know what I mean? You, you would have yeah, had like, to have a few people helping you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like even Pop Turns. I remember all, like, uh, Jody and... Yeah. Uh, uh, was, it, was it Wolfie, that guy? Yeah, 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 Wolfie. The yeah, all them lot. Like, you know, there is, there is a lot. We yeah. always had quite a strong team, obviously, yeah. behind all of that. And, yeah, it's got to be... I mean... Not that you do you need as much of that these days, but well, you need. I've got radio. I've got a radio. You know, you probably know the person that's doing it, Tom. Danny Watson. You know the, the guy who used to DJ with at Death Disco. The fat oh, guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Danny's a, one of my best mates, and um, Danny's uh, Danny's become a radio plugger, so he plugs all my, all my bands, and then I've got a guy. Rob Sonic Kert for the Sonic PR does the press and Danny Danny does the streaming for me now as well does Spotify for me so right. but but it is it's like they're like they're like people that are higher in just to do that but the actual main thing of the label is me and and, and, and it, it was crazy now that you can run it off a fucking telephone you know what I mean but is it more difficult for young bands to sustain success without that kind of I think it's just difficult for young bands, man. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's difficult, but it'll probably come round again. It'll probably become a bit bands eventually. It'll change, you know what I mean? Can you tell us a story about when um, your wife looked you, at your browsing history after uh, you'd been clicking at random? The, the, the one way um, about your wife, where she looked at your browsing history on the internet when you'd been randomly clicking at shit online. Oh right, no, but it wasn't. No, it, it, was that was that when I first got a computer? Yeah. Oh right. No, what, what what it was? Wow. It, it was actually pretty innocent, Tom. But me, <laughs> it, it was such a fucking. But it was such a weird time because it was like so she left. I just got this is about nineteen ninety six, right? I hate a Britpop, and I just yeah. worked out what the internet was, and maybe nineteen ninety seven, and she went out and left me. And I was on the computer, and there was a fucking advert, a porny advert on, on AOL, or whatever it was that I was on, right? And I started going, oh, what's that? Click, and it fucking froze. And I didn't, I didn't have a clue of the computers. And it was just a big pair of tits. And I was like, <laughs> and I was, it was like advertising some porn site. And I clicked. I didn't even get to the porn site. And it was just... Basically, so I was like fucking sweating, right? God, God, she's going to think I'm a pervert, right? 
And then she came in and looked at it. I went, oh, my God. Sick. And then, and then, and then basically restarted the computer. <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was fucking mortified. You know what I mean? <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. I need to get that one out. <laughs> oh, it's, just, it's just life, isn't it, mate? You know what I mean? Yeah, I could just see, I could just see you sat there like fucking panicking, trying to close everything well, because down. Because it was back in the day of like 1996, 1997, that, you know, the internet, none of us knew how to really work computers. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Literally, she was on the internet for about a year before me and she used to talk to the internet and I just go, it's fucking rubbish. And then she got me one night to do, put this in. And I was like, that's lies. And then I was looking at a computer for about an hour. And then she goes, that's the internet. I went, really? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Alan, we usually ask guests for uh, if they've got a good story about you know, some of the big names of that time. I appreciate you giving us quite a few already, but is there any others that stand out? <laughs> I don't know. Who about in particular? You, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Have you got like a story about somebody um, like some massive, like, <laughs> a, a huge pop star or uh, rock star? I'll give you one with the Prime Minister at the time. Tony Blair, what one would I give you? Um, <laughs> right, so I was giving money to the Labour Party. This is about 98, 99, right? And I, and I basically, I, I, so Cherie Blair, who thought I was great, invited me and Paul Smith, right, to take her to London Fashion Week. <laughs> and I think it was like September 1999, right? That's what it was, right? And I had given hundreds of thousands of pounds to the Labour Party, right? So, so anyway, my I didn't give a fuck about going to the fucking fashion week with Cherie Blair. I couldn't give a fuck. But they, 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 so I was never going to go. And the fucking the the um, the invite was on the mantelpiece, and my wife. Like, all women love all that. And she went, I want to go to that. And I went, mate, just phone up Margaret McDonough, who was the General Secretary of the Labour Party. Phone Margaret up and get an invite. So the Labour Party, in true fucking procrastination fucking, you know, mode, basically left it. We were supposed to go to the Monday to the fucking, uh, to the Fashion Week. And it got to the Friday. And then the Labour Party phoned us and went, Kate can't come. My missus can't come. So, of course, I then went, well, fuck, fuck that shit. I ain't going to go. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't care. Anyway, I was never really going to go. I was only going because basically, you know, Kate was going, I want to go to that. And I was like, okay, I'll go. But I didn't never want to go. So anyway, she phoned up the Labour Party and basically threatened them and went, don't fucking ever ask for any more money off of him. She thought as they were disrespecting us or her, whatever, 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 however women <laughs> Expected it. <laughs> she was like, oh, no more fucking money to you cunts, basically, right? <laughs> so so basically we got an invite to to checkers um about the next month. Within a week, we'd have been invited to checkers for Saturday night dinner with Tony and Cherie, right? So we drive on down in the fucking limo. I was driven around at this point, so by a fucking Mm. I think it was Mark. He's a West Ham football hooligan that lived in Eltham, right? The fucking head king. <laughs> but anyway, he, he drove me. I used to 
hire the cars for this limo company and I get driven down to, to the fucking Prime Minister. And at the fucking dinner, uh, well, anyway, I'll tell you, I've got to run it through it because you'll, you'll like some of this, right? So, so anyway, about 25 past seven, I'm outside Checkers in a car, in a pub car park. And then it fucking goes to 31 minutes past seven and I'm coming out the car at Checkers. And Mark, the football hooligan, goes around to the fucking kitchen where the other fucking drivers are about to fucking arrive, right? You know, they get a cup of tea or whatever, right? And I go on in, and there's Tony Blair dressed in Gap fucking clothes, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm in a Paul Smith suit, right? looking rather Britpop, I suppose, right? And my missus is all done up in Prada and all that bollocks. And, uh, and uh, Tony Blair's in these Gap originals. Anyway, after about five, ten minutes talking about the, the new Oasis record, which was coming out, it never, I don't think it came out for another six, six months or something like that, you know, or, or maybe even a bit longer. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, we were talk, I think I was playing him Go Let It Out or something like that, or whatever, anyway. And uh, at a certain point, we get to the fucking door and it suddenly it, it, all you hear is, now then, now then, now then. And we turn round, it's fucking Jimmy Savile in a tracksuit, right? <laughs> and we're like, and you got to understand, Jimmy Savile in 1999 hadn't been famous for 15 fucking years. So I was like, what the... F-? I looked at Tony, Tony Blair and I went, it just got fucking too weird, right? Because I'm sat and talking to the Prime Minister and Jimmy Savile has walked in, right? And uh, <laughs> I... And, 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 uh, you know, and then Jimmy Savile's fucking Jimmy Savile, and he's just he, at that point, it, he, he wasn't known as a fucking well, I didn't honestly know that he was known as a nonce or anything like that. You know, I, I, I had no clue. And then at the dinner table, he was fucking weird and wonderful and fucking sleazy with my missus. You know, I thought I, I never saw that. She tells me that, I believe her. Um, and it was just fucking. It was just one of the most surreal fucking. He came with a. <laughs> he came with a, uh, a guy, a security guy that, that ran a security firm with two and a half thousand people. So he was he was totally fucking. He was he was connected, man. Do you know what I mean? You know. So uh, yeah, that, was a strange, that was a strange side, you know. Yeah, strange bunch of people all in one place. Yeah, it was me and my missus. This is who was there. It was me and my missus, Tony and Cherie, John Reed, the Celtic director, it was also the foreign secretary at one point, John O'Farrell that wrote Things Can Only Get Better book, and his wife, who's that, Dame, who's that fucking actress, Dame Edna, you know, I can't, I can't remember people's names sometimes. Um, who's, who's in the Bond movie, The Old Woman? Uh, Judy Dench. Judy Dench, Dame yeah. Judy Dench, and her husband Michael something, Jimmy Savile, and a security guy, <laughs> and the guy that controls the nuclear button, some general. He was there as well. And it was like the just, start of a jerk, isn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> the most fucking surreal fucking group of people. Do you know what I mean? Um, just remember. Can I just say one oh, thing, boys? Who the fuck is interested in this shit? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You'd be surprised, mate, I think. All right, all right. Uh, just one last one. I just remembered one story from your book, Alan, where yeah. you talk about um, being on the same plane as Michael Jackson and he started giggling at you or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I'd met him a couple of times. I met him in Tokyo. I got taken backstage by Sony. And uh, I get, when I get really nervous, I get really Scottish. <laughs> and, uh, and he couldn't understand anything I said, which was funny. And uh, he was tall as fuck. This would be September 1992. This is, that's when it was. And uh, or maybe October 1992. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, Michael Jackson was playing the to- eight nights at the Tokyo Dome, 50,000 people a night in this massive fucking arena in Tokyo. And then uh, the next time I met him, I was on Concord, and I was uh, I got on, and somebody, it was nobody, it was the 11th, I think, it, I don't know why I remember dates, it was the 11th of January, 1997, it was about five years later, and, and me and Ed Ball had just went over, uh, and uh, we were just coming back uh, to New York, and we are just coming back, and as we got on the plane, the woman looked at us, and she went, are you and Michael? And we went, yes. Just taking the piss. We didn't have a fucking clue who Michael was. But we just thought, <laughs> yeah, we went, with Michael. And we went, oh, no. And it was Michael Jackson sitting with a COVID-19 fucking mask. And uh, <laughs> it was very strange. I mean, it, was, it wasn't cool. It was like two managers, two bouncers, Michael Jackson, and, and, and then a kid, about 15, that was dressed like Michael Jackson, exactly like Michael Jackson with the mask on as well. It was a fucking strange, do you know what I mean, you know? So yeah. what, you, you, you got on the, did you sit next to him? <laughs> no, no, no. We went up and because I was bald and Ed Ball, who was over there with me, I don't know if you remember Ed Ball, I put out some singles, some album singles and albums by him. But he, 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 was, he was dressing like me at the time. He was like, he was bald in Paul Smith suits. And Michael Jackson saw two bald guys coming up and started laughing. <laughs> and I was like, to Ed, Ed, Ed's a fucking Chelsea football hooli. And Ed was like, I'm fucking going to go up there, McGee. And he was really, and I'm like, you'll get your, you'll get your legs broken by the security. Fucking shut up. You know? <laughs> That's what happened. Superb. No, now you're falling, boys. Now I'm just fucking locked on my own in fucking Tower of London, just fucking trying to avoid the COVID, you know?